Hello and welcome to another episode of Laps Gamer Radio. I'm your host Stuart Neil, and joining me tonight is team member Mark Hamer. Good evening. Tonight we are also joined by special guest John Denton. Good evening, John. Good evening, guys. John, um, just as a very quick introduction, um, I've pulled all the sort of little bits and pieces from your LinkedIn profile. So you have been a reviews editor, you've been acting editor, you are currently sort of a freelance writer and consultant, and you have recently started up your own YouTube channel as well. Yeah, that's correct. Just tell us a little bit more um, about yourself before we start going into uh, the questions. Sure. So um, I've been working in the games industry for, well, just over 12 years now. So um, in 2005, I started on Games TM magazine, managed to land a staff writer job there. Uh, just simply by stumbling across a job um, advert on Monster uh, UK and applying for it, and it happened to—I was living in Southampton at the time, and it happened to be just down the road in Bournemouth. And I was lucky enough to be able to get that job. That was just a staff writer gig, and um, yeah, worked on Games TM, worked up to reviews editor. There was like a buyout with Imagine Publishing. Previously, it was Highbury Publishing. That's where I started. And then moved across to basically be the editor of a magazine called, just called 360, which I did for uh, a couple of years. Um, it says acting editor, but there was no editor, so I was basically the editor. <laughs> and then kind of got a little bit fed up with the grind, so decided to go freelance about, I'd say, about six years ago now. And um, in that time, I've had two kids, and so I'm still, still hustling away, trying to write where I can, and I've been lucky enough to be able to do a fair amount of consultancy, sometimes with the game publishers on, on games and also uh, with brands in where they're looking to, to get into the games industry. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you're right. I have in the last eight, nine months started a YouTube channel, just trying to keep up with the times, trying not to be too much of a dinosaur <laughs> and putting a lot of uh, effort and endeavor into that and just seeing where that takes me, really. Going into the questions, what have you, that we've got, um, obviously you've now covered how you'd got started and working in the industry and things like that. And with you sort of previously working on as a reviews editor and acting editor for, um, for a variety of magazines and things, was it a hard choice then to make going freelance? It was in many ways, but I'm quite an impulsive person when it comes to that sort of stuff. So uh, at the time, I knew I was kind of at my wit's end, and I won't go into uh, details. Similar things to happen to anybody in any job. And I knew at the time when I needed to jump off that I needed to for kind of like my own sanity, really. Mm. Um, long story short, I won't, I won't talk about any people specifically, but our magazine had been turned from a 13-issue-a-year magazine standard magazine cycle to a 17 uh, issue a year magazine with the same staff same budget so we were having to pump out four more magazines per year than everybody else in in the company mm-hmm. and after a year and a half of doing that I was just done really so mm-hmm. um, while I miss definitely miss being on staff and being like part of an editorial team and every t- every time E3 comes around and I see all the big websites and magazines you know, banding together to to do all their coverage and all that sort of stuff. Um, I do miss it. At the same time, I knew that it was time to jump off. And as much as I love magazines, you know, the, the writing was on the wall a little bit. And I know that will piss a few people off who still still work in print. And mm-hmm. um, that will always be my heart. But realistically, um, it was it was time to see what what else I could do. Mm. What was the hardest bit then of sort of working in print media particularly? I wouldn't say any of it was hugely hard because I always remind myself of this before I I managed to land that job. I just did about it's only about 14 months, but it's still I still think about it a lot. I did 14 months at HSBC in um 
basically in the stocks and shares side of it in Southampton, just doing data entry, a basic temp job data entry clerk. And every single day was just literally putting numbers into spreadsheets over and over and over again for eight hours a day, normal last job for people to get like after uni, after school. Um, mm. And it was so soul-destroying because you'd see people... I mean, it was such an unbelievably boring job anyway. <laughs> but um, you'd see people who were there... Uh, you know in their 50s and stuff like that who'd been doing it for years and years and years and they just lost all personality uh, at mm. all you could see it was it was like a dream crushing factory there were some people who'd been successful in there and they were actually you know buying stocks and shares and being a trader in, in that side of the business and they were quite career-minded and stuff but there was the people who were stuck doing what I was doing but were way older than me and that always sticks with me because then when I moved to the magazines even though we worked long hours and there was a lot of like evening work it never really felt like that same level of hard work just because it was always so fun mm -hmm. so to answer your question specifically I think sort of managing the more organizational side of it as I moved up and you become a bit more of a manager and an admin guy a lot of us who are writers and you know creative people in quotation marks and you know ultimately most people who do that job and, and fall into that job just like video games right? yeah <laughs> so suddenly having to like deal again with spreadsheets and workflows and stuff like that i always found that kind of tricky but that, it was a good challenge as well especially when the magazine went from 13 to 17 a year it was very much about organizing everything and keeping everything tight mm -hmm. yeah there was that and then towards the end just the kind of knowledge that what you were doing as amazing as it was was ultimately being crushed by online journalism and suddenly you know everything we were doing was late all the reviews were a month late all the news was a month late yeah. and then we were trying to play catch up and that was always a little bit depressing is not the right word because you know it, it, that's definitely not the state that anybody was in but a little bit um distressing i should say just you just kind of knew that the gig was up and i can imagine again the, the guys that are still hustling away on some of the the print magazines that are on their last legs must be feeling that quite a lot yeah with print media um do you think they were kind of caught unawares by the internet or is it just the fact that it just came along so very very quickly and turned up legitimate very very quickly you know it wasn't just um an awful lot of fans and what have you who'd set up their internet pages and things and maybe got in contact with companies whereas people in print media obviously would have had the contact um, yeah. properly there um so what do you think sort of made this sort of big shift well so i think when i when i first came in in 2005 there was there was a little bit of um sort of arrogance that the websites weren't as good as us as you know proper <laughs> whatever that means proper journalists and mm. um you know they were like and so the big sites the IGNs the GameSpots the Eurogamers they just felt like another publication just like an you know Edge Cube whoever it was yeah. they were just another one they'd be on the same trips they'd be at the same events they did business in very much the same way and I think there was a kind of a little bit of arrogance a little bit of sort of ambivalence towards it just uh, people not taking it seriously enough and not really realizing. And also at the time, the people I was speaking to were more staff writer level. So we're just hustling away, putting pages away, playing games. We're not dealing with sales figures or, you know, huge editorial decisions, huge management decisions, anything like that. So um, I do think from the top level where I worked, there, there was a bit of that. Mm. But I also think that um, quickly top the top level people certainly imagine understood that you know, we needed to really make a play for online and already, unfortunately, you're playing catch up to people who've been doing it at that point, you know, eight, nine years, that yeah. the Eurogamers, the game spots. And 
you can't really compete with that. And then, as you say, the internet becomes a bit more accessible, WordPress blogs become easier, blogger, all that sort of stuff. And mm. yeah, the rise of the blogs. Um, I even wrote a feature about it for Games TM back in probably 2008, I'd say, maybe 2009, uh, when like Joystick was coming up and Kotaku was coming. It's funny to even talk about it like that because like, Kotaku's like, you know, the games press now in so yeah. many ways, and into culturally anyway. And Joystick's been and gone. Well, yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. Um but, yeah, at the time, it felt like this was a cool new way of doing things, and it was exciting. We never really thought that that would be, become the dominant force all of a sudden. But the change happened quickly. There was a lot of people who were prepared to work for free, and totally understandably, and I still understand why people want to do that, especially if they're able to secure review copies of games. It does mm. devalue the job a little bit, but at the same time, I believe in you know I believe in the marketplace. So if there's people willing to do it for free, and you're sitting there demanding money for the same job, and you know, the people are going to use the free people and they'll either die because they're using free people who aren't good enough or they'll get to a position where they can pay those free people money. And that's what's happened to a lot of people, people who are very good now and have managed to turn themselves into a career. And now they are in turn finding that YouTube's come along and just crush them completely. You know, people aren't uh, buying adverts on websites anymore. And I think a lot of the websites are struggling. They're having to diversify a lot. I think the big guns have done that very well. But then you look at these, a lot of the kids, are some of the ones that I work with uh, in some of the brand stuff that I do, the bigger YouTubers, it's very different. It's not really press. It's not really journalism. There's a whole different school of ethics involved. There's a whole mm. different sort of school of thought behind it. But at the same time, the audiences they're commanding are what you dream of as a website, what you dream of as a magazine. And they're you know, basically totally independent. So mm. um, I'm just waiting for it to happen again. I've seen it happen twice now in the time that I've been doing this. And I'm not. I wouldn't surprise me at all if something comes along and kicks the YouTubers uh, off, and and something else becomes big. I don't know what, but I, I'm I'm sure it won't be long before it changes again. Mm-hmm. With a few magazines and what have you, I'm still maintaining reasonable um, sort of readerships. Things like PC Gamer, mm-hmm. um, Games TM, Edge, even Retro Gamer um, still has a fair following. Do you think there is still a a place in the industry um, for print publishing? Um, I do to a degree. Um, I think the fact that Retro Gamer has basically maintained the audience that it had when like, I know the editor very, very well. He's a good friend of mine, Darren. And um, I was there when he when he moved over and basically took over Retro Gamer from the kind of funny thing that it was before. So basically since the beginning. Mm-hmm. And it had, you know, it was a small flagship title for Imagine, sold a certain amount every single month. And it basically still sells the exact same, if not a little bit more. So that goes to show that obviously that's an older audience who are more used to and uh, they're in more of a habit of buying magazines. But it does show that there can still be that kind of boutique press. But I think any magazine that's trying to do what they always did, deliver news, deliver reviews, it's only a matter of time. And, um, you know, you just look at the sales figures of uh, of those Games TM and Edge, which were on, you know, 25k, 30k an issue, and they're, you know, they're dwindling massively. Some of the other single format mags, they basically don't exist anymore apart from the official ones. I mean, when I started, I think Play was on 100,000 an issue, and then it, you know, wow. now it's just digital only. It was well below 5K an issue before it was closed down as a magazine. Mm. It's just reality. I mean, I always say to myself, if I'm not buying games mags, which I'm not, unfortunately, mm. who is really? Yep. So I think there is a there is room for like the boutique star magazine. And I think through Patreon and stuff, we'll see more and more of those. 
working then from a sort of a freelance perspective, have you? How difficult is getting freelance work these days? Um, is there an awful lot of pitching for yourself, or do people approach you um, to do some work and things for them? Yeah, I think um, as what I've done shifted slightly, and I, I say most of what I do is more on the consultancy side of it now. Uh, as much as I love writing for for websites and magazines um there was a period when i started where i was constantly pitching constantly contacting people and it it was tough just because budgets have gone down so much and i was lucky enough to be in a position where i had good context uh, sorry good contacts and you know had a lot of experience so i think somebody coming in fresh without that experience will will struggle but at the same time you know there are websites and and places with budget who can pay for work and will pay for work and new ones have cropped up over time you know there was vice um that was there for a while i know they've had some some issues over there and Mm. different things popping up trusted reviews and things like that so more things are popping up i think it's a mentality thing like if you want to make it work you can if you're prepared to constantly pitch constantly ask people constantly get yourself out there i think people who are in london are automatically at an advantage because the second you can start getting yourself to those launch events or little press events here and there and start networking then inevitably you're going to be able to make the right contacts and grab a piece of work here and there of course the network needs to be good and you need to have that grounding and either you know practice to get yourself to a position where it's publishable or you know keep trying to improve but um it's tough Mm. definitely it's a tricky landscape I don't think I'd be able to survive if I was just trying to write but at the same time I always I always saw this even when I was on staff I never it's a complete privilege to be able to do it even if you're being paid and employed and even if you're an editor-in-chief I always think it's a complete privilege to be able to work in this industry Mm. there's a lot of luck involved in getting in there in the first place and Mm -hmm. yeah the work is hard and um, you know, you, there's a lot of graft and grind involved, like anything. But um, I think the people who just suddenly think they have the divine right to be able to just write about games and not do anything else and expect to get paid for it are in for a bit of a rude awakening. Mm. And you know, I've always been prepared to to suck it up and do other stuff, and you know, find other sources of income as and when I've needed to. And you know, I'll always keep trying to do it. But if it if it doesn't work out, I'm prepared to to bite the bullet and move elsewhere. Well, that's kind of what I've done. You know, I'm still in games, but I'm not just sitting there just writing about games every single week as much as I'd love to. Um, Yeah, it's just a mentality thing, I think. You not only wrote about games um, sort of every week, you also had a podcast um, with your colleague Chet Roivas, Mm -hmm. the Reassuringly Finite playlist. How did that come about? So um, Chet and I have known each other. We met at uni. We met at the um, pretty much the first week or first two weeks of the first year of uni and um, we hit it off pretty quickly with another guy who was nothing to do with the podcast and we don't really speak to anymore um but for no reason it's just you know you fall out of touch with people um Mm. but we were both on a film studies course and uh, we both quickly became quite aware that the film studies course maybe wasn't quite all it was cracked up to be so we kind of hit it off over that and yeah we just became friends he actually left uni after about six months but bizarrely he was the only person I'd kept in touch with so we just sort of sent emails to each other back and forth after I'd finished uni for a few years he moved to Holland and then eventually moved back to England and we you know we kind of reconnected and then with like at the time it was like MSN Messenger and then obviously then on your phone we just used to speak all the time and then go and see each other all the time and now we're basically in contact uh, all the time we've always thought about doing little projects together we wanted to do some film stuff um i hooked it up with some freelance when i was in a position to be able to do that on um 
on the magazines and and sort of helped kickstart his career in that in that respect mm-hmm. uh, his kind of freelance writing career which he's now transitioned off to to do some other stuff within the industry and um eventually just one of our conversations we should do this finally turned into some action we both just got motivated enough to buy mics figure out how to get a podcast up there uh, he had the idea of sort of doing a little bit of Mark Kermode's top 10 from his podcast, a little bit of Siskel and Ebert kind of arguing back and forth quickly about films. We were both fed up of podcasts where they talk for 25 minutes at the beginning about food or other bollocks. We just were like, you know, the idea of just getting straight into it, uh, trying to do it as quickly as we could. And um, we just yeah gave it a go to to see, to see how it went. And uh, to be honest, we were lucky enough that uh, Dave Turner's, who has obviously got a sizable audience in in the podcasting world picked up on it quickly and was kind enough to share it out and sort of suggest that people should listen to it and it it grew from there and yeah we managed to get nearly 150 under our belt before we just burnt out Mm -hmm. which is a shame we still speak every day like we're still great friends i'm going to see him this weekend in fact um down in brighton so yeah we're still uh, as close as we were it's just we couldn't do that anymore we set ourselves a kind of ludicrous task in the fact that we had to play it was never 10 games every week but a lot of games every single week and it made sense at first i was doing a lot of freelance for like mobile app um websites like pocket gamer so i was playing a ton of small games every week and so there was there was scope to try and talk about that many games every week but as it went on it was it was ridiculous obviously he scoured the the xblig stores every week and he's got a lot of gold out of that (laughs) and then yeah i just constantly looking for stuff to play looking for for stuff to to stick my oar into and and have an opinion on and yeah it became exhausting and then when I found out my wife was pregnant with our second kid um I knew it was time to to knock it on the head and also Chet kind of fell out of love with games mm. he still plays games he still plays um like online shooters and stuff but he didn't have the same passion his passion is always film and he has a new podcast now about film mm. that's the thing he's really really into and I think he got a bit burnt out by the whole way people are on social media about games, a bit burnt out by single-player games. And, um, yeah, I, I don't think he had it in him to, to do a podcast anymore about gaming, which is a shame because I'd like there are times where I think I'd like to do it again and maybe change the format slightly because I did think we have something. But, mm. uh, yeah, it's just, just one of those things, a little, mm. a little moment in time that was, that was good fun. Yeah. Whenever you were doing the podcast, were you then still working on magazines and things at the same time? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, not on staff. It was when I was freelance, but um, still yeah, getting writing gigs. And it was basically mm. like if I was lucky enough to get so one or two reviews in a week, they would obviously be a part of my list. And same for him. Mm. He was managing to get a decent amount of freelance work as well across the magazines. Um, he'd made good contacts as well. So for a while it worked and it made sense. But as things changed, it became a bit too hard mm. to to manage to, to find the time to do it, unfortunately. Yeah, especially mm. whenever you start um, having kids and things, the, your time just evaporates. Oh, yeah. Yeah, massively. <laughs> you really don't know where it goes at all. Yeah, yeah. So moving then on to your YouTube stuff, um, you currently have, you're just recently hit, um, about a month ago, you hit your 1,000 subscribers. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, which is quite a nice milestone uh, to hit. Yeah, I was super happy with it. I know, like uh, I said in time, I'm, I'm very aware that it's, it's in the grand scheme of YouTube, it's nothing. But mm-hmm. at the same time, if you have 1,000 people come around my house right now, they, you know, my house will fall down. <laughs> so um, it's ridiculous that that many people have hit that red button. I think it's, it's like... Uh, 1270 something like now it's been uh, wow. it's gone quite fast in the in the last mm-hmm. few weeks um yeah the goal is 
is much bigger, obviously, and the bigger it gets, the easier I'll be able to reach out to old contacts and now new contacts to get more access and the mm. quality of the channel will improve. But yeah, I set myself a, a goal. I don't know what what really set it off. In fact, sorry, I'm, I'm talking. I'm talking off. Was there a question? No, I just, <laughs> I just started. Oh, no, I was, yeah, oh, I was going to go. I was going to go into why did you decide um, to start a YouTube channel? Oh, perfect. That was basically what I was going to talk about. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so yeah, I'd been. I basically hadn't done any games writing for ages. It was months, and uh, certainly hadn't been on any trips or anything like that or any events. For, for ages and ages and I was doing my consultancy work and I was getting a bit bored it's fine and it's good and I, you know it's not a job to complain about but it wasn't my passion and I was lucky enough to be asked by Eurogamer to review Titanfall 2 it was like a two day event up in London I hadn't done anything like that for for years I hadn't been to anything like that but I hadn't even written about games for, for ages and um, in that time it was, it was a great couple of days obviously the game is superb it was, you know, I'll be honest, it was in a nice environment and uh, we got to have dinner with the creators of the game afterwards, got to have a good conversation with like the lead designer and I was like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing, this is like, this is me, this is, you know, I worked for so many years, worked so hard, so many long hours to get to a position and I've kind of dropped it mm. for no real reason mm. and I was like, well, I don't know, I should just do my own thing and writing a blog didn't seem to make sense. I don't think I'd really get much traction doing that. And it's difficult to write when you've been paid for it for years to suddenly start writing for free, if that makes any sense. But, mm. um, you know, I've been working with YouTubers and I work with uh, Ali A. I don't know if you know who that is, but he's absolutely massive in Call of Duty. And he's got like um, over his two channels, over 13 million subscribers wow. now. The lovely guy. And he's just incredibly uh, motivated, smart, young guy started when he was in his teens and he's in his early 20 now early 20s now he's made an absolute fortune so sort of working with him for, for some of the brand stuff that i've done and um working with a few other guys and just seeing seeing the potential there but also seeing like the work ethic and, and seeing people learning in public and i thought you know i just need to just just do it just get myself out there i've got the experience i understand i know that i'm confident in myself that when i'm talking about this subject i've got yeah, my chops, you know, I've paid my dues, so mm. I'll learn the rest of it in front of the camera. I'll learn how to talk to camera, uh, I'll learn how to edit, I'll learn how to, to film stuff, and I'm still doing that, I'm still very much doing that. It's still, you go in there, it's still very much rough and ready, you know, it's not like slickly edited packages, and, you know, I still don't have a proper camera, um, everything is a bit rough and ready, a little bit sketchy, but the idea is that I could spend a year learning how to do all this stuff and buying all the right kit and then start or mm. I could just start now with what I've got in front of me and learn learn in public you know see what works see what doesn't work and and just try it and yeah that thousand for me was the first milestone to get to and then and then five is next but you know the first hundred and 150 people who, who came and clicked on that thing a lot of them were, were old podcast fans and people I've interacted with for years online now and, you know, I still am amazed by anybody who shares any of that content, anybody who comments, anybody hits the like button, anybody comes and hangs out on the streams, you know, mm. it's still, it, it means a massive amount. And I'm just hoping we can extend that and grow it into something. But, you know, my, my plan is just to keep working at it and keep keep grafting, grinding, work long hours. But I like doing it and, and see where it goes. Mm -hmm. Did you have a specific um, approach for your YouTube channel as in were you thinking it was just going to be reviews or sort of quick little sort of thought pieces or things like that? Yeah, I think um, reviews and, and sort of opinion was, was the main idea at the beginning and 
I thought obviously I've been reviewing games for years, got a lot of experience doing it, and um, I would like to try and do it in, in video form. And uh, yeah, why not just try and do some like op-eds to, to camera, which is what I'm still doing. And um, the review stuff, I suddenly realised that obviously if you're going to be reviewing, say a game that's coming out next month, Destiny 2, not only do I have to play it for hours and hours and hours and hours, if I was lucky enough to get the game early, which most of the times I'm not I'm not in a comfortable position to go and even ask for the review codes a lot of the time, because I don't feel like the channel is mm -hmm. big enough. So I'm either going to be automatically massively late compared to an IGN GameSpot, and it's, you're competing in the same field as those guys, mm. or um, I've got to play so much on my own time to then make a video which takes ages, it's going to start eating into my actual work, start eating into everything else. So while I can still run reviews on some smaller games, it made more sense to, uh, to try different things. So the op mm. stuff or some videos around new games, and I mean, I've... I've got a video on there, like a For Honor review, which came out maybe two and a half weeks after the game and put a lot of effort into that review and it's got different bits of footage and different clips and it tells a story. And it's one of my lowest viewed videos on the channel just because <laughs> nobody's, you know, nobody's finding that through search. Nobody from the subscribers, yeah. if they weren't really, really interested in For Honor, then they're not really going to go and watch that video. They're more likely to watch perhaps a, an op-ed video or, you know, a top 10 or something like that. Mm. And so I learned a lot because, you know, I put a lot of work into that video. But um, ultimately, I'd love to be able to come back to it and be doing stuff like that when the channel's much bigger. But um, mm. just trying to figure out what works, really. Trying to figure out avenues to not be clickbaity and not try and hack YouTube or anything like that, just to slowly cultivate the audience and then have a kind of community there that can feed back to me and, uh, and what sort of stuff we should be doing. And also my new plan is to do more collaborations, try and find um, people with a you know a different audience or a bigger audience to me to talk about their experiences in gaming and maybe do some capture with them. My idea is like, I really want to get Scrobius Pip on the channel. I'm going to basically hassle him until he comes on the channel. I don't know him, but I know that, you know, he, he did a podcast with a guy, Sam White, who's a games journalist when he, he, he went out to the mm -hmm. destiny event in America. And I know he's kind of posted gamey stuff on his social media every now and then so uh, eventually I want to interview him and, and just do some interviews just kind of stuff that you might not necessarily see with your typical games coming out we interview the creator that sort of stuff and hopefully that will be how the channel blows up but then again in a month I might change my mind and think about a different angle and just keep trying something else so yeah yeah long story short um, yeah it keeps changing all the time some people look at sort of YouTube videos and things, and particularly a lot of the sort of um, sort of shouty um, game players and things like that, as it being very very easy. Um, you had some experience talking to sort of um, people who do YouTube and what have you. Were you surprised at how much work is involved um, in maintaining and producing content for it? Um, I was when I first sort of came across these guys, definitely, and um, you know, I, I, there was a sort of under two levels of understanding to it. Firstly, I, I kind of understood and accepted that I wasn't the audience. As you know, I'm 35 this week. When I was first started talking to these guys, I was probably, you know, just 30, 31, something like that. And their audience, a lot of the guys who were sort of loud and energetic were teenagers, younger teenagers as well. And mm -hmm. I just had to accept that, A, they're not doing games journalism. They're not doing games media. They're not doing what we do in the press. They're doing something else. 
and their audience doesn't give a about reading a review certainly at that age um they don't give a about uh, any of the other stuff like that they just want to consume somebody that they might see as a big brother or, or a big sister you see the um the, uh, like the female vloggy channels where they're, they're talking about their lives and i think the younger girls see them as uh, you know older siblings or people to look up to and that suddenly suddenly started making a lot of sense and then exactly like you say the work ethic there's a million guys out there. There's a million kids out there with a webcam and a microphone and mm-hmm. a good PC and streaming setup and everything. And they're screaming into the microphone, trying to be Allier, trying to be Syndicate, trying to be KSI and not getting anywhere. And we're only seeing the guys that have been successful and all of them, every single one that I've met, they have the same thing in common. And that's an, like a genuine entrepreneurial spirit and a genuine work ethic. So there's a degree of luck, mm-hmm. I would say, in being the guy at the right time at the right place to some of these guys who caught off when there's probably maybe two or three guys with a similar work ethic, similar style that didn't take off. But everyone who's been successful in that and got themselves to this ridiculously high level has been um, based purely, you know, there's, there's not a single one of them that hasn't worked their ass off at work, you know, 12, 14 mm-hmm. hour days, seven days a week, just, just really, truly grafting. Um, what I will say though is I think the audience is now that's coming to YouTube isn't a the one that's been there already is getting older you know the the 14 year old kids who love that stuff are now 20 19 and so they mm-hmm. you know some people are going to be wanting um, something with a bit more substance and some of the YouTubers have changed as they've got older and some are staying the same and both both make sense that you know those guys know their audience but also I think more of our generation are now uh, looking at YouTube as it becomes much easier to watch it on our phones, um, more ubiquitous in our social media, Facebook and and Twitter video is just becoming more normal in our lives, I think. Yeah. And I thought that was the other reason that I started the channel as I thought this this is the time where people of our age, our generation, the, the games magazine generation you know the the long form pieces like you say they're they're finding stuff on youtube they're finding people on youtube that they can connect with and it's not that it's not going to be the screaming guy the this you know yet opening packs on ultimate team or anything you know we're obviously not really going to watch that or minecraft kids or anything like that but you know there's already in the research that i've done there's some really genuinely good reviewers out there there's some good funny people out there I don't know if there's anybody doing exactly what I'm doing out there, apart from people who work actually on staff in, in magazines. So my, not a magazine, sorry, on, on websites and doing the video side of that. My idea is to try and do a channel that captures the old spirit of games, Mag. Lots of variety, lots of different games, mm-hmm. uh, you know, ranging from funny stuff to, to serious stuff and never really focusing, drilling down too much on one thing. Um, might be to my detriment, mm-hmm. but I think there's enough people out there who love that sort of stuff. And, you know, we, we all spend our time on social media talking about games all day, for for better or worse. <laughs> and there's so many of us out there, it's so big, that I feel like, you know, that, that we're all going to be, we're all going to be watching video all the time. I mean, I'm even finding myself sticking on YouTube videos while I do the washing up instead of just listening to podcasts, even because <laughs> I can stick the phone there which is something I wasn't even doing a year ago. So um, yeah. I do think things are changing in that respect. Yeah, to answer your question, yeah, those guys work hard. <laughs> <laughs> um, with you um, having sort of multiple videos and everything up now, is there anything that you consider your best work so far um, on your channel? That's a good question. Um, I do think that Verona video is good. I actually do think that's good. <laughs> I know that some of the stuff I've put up there has been a bit, um, a bit slapdash. You know, I've I've mm-hmm. stuck a camera up and done off the cuff 
opinion pieces straight to to camera and then chopped them up and got them out there just because you know time's at a premium for for me at the moment and I don't have mm-hmm. huge amounts of time to dedicate and I don't just want to do like one video every two weeks um said that you're never going to grow like that but I do think that for honor video is good uh, I'm very proud of some of the stuff I've done with my little boy Elliot um obviously as a dad you're going to be um slightly enamored with your own kid but I do genuinely think that he's yeah. funny everybody seems to think everybody I meet finds him very entertaining and hilarious and I do think those videos uh, with him just being himself, whether it's the one where he's shooting people on Splatoon or the one where he's reacting to the Nintendo press conference, or probably the funniest one's the one where he's helping me review controllers because he was he'd had a load of sugar before that. Um, and it's obviously I'm very proud of those, just because you obviously you're proud of your own kids, but he is he's supposed to be in front of the camera much more so than his dad, I think. And um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think people do seem to enjoy those and get a kick out of. Weirdly, lose a lot of subscribers every time I put one of those videos up just strange uh yeah i think there's a bunch of people who just don't like kids <laughs> i guess but um they've also got quite a lot of views so yeah I, i'm quite proud of those and a couple of the opinion pieces i'm I'm learning i'm teaching myself i'm trying to teach myself how to just stick a camera on unscripted with a few ideas in my head and just talk and try and be as clear as possible try and do as few edits as possible and to trying to get like 10 odd minutes of fire out there and i'm i'm getting better at it and getting better at getting my thoughts in order and getting better at trying to be a bit more passionate in the way that I speak and um, the way that I connect and I I think that long term I'm going to get better at that and I can be a little bit more not I'm never going to try and be too controversial for the sake of it it's not really my style I always just trying to be honest and I've sit in a frustrating middle ground where I tend to try and look at things from both sides all the time which means that I often don't end up having huge uh, opinions on one side or the other for most points unless it's something really egregious uh, like what's been happening in America mm. the last couple of days but um, I want I think there's there's something in that as well just just kind of spitting fire into into a camera and having people connect to that I've had a few some of the comments that I've had back on those videos have been really amazing to to read I did one about my own issues with um, anxiety I, I you know long long-term suffer with an anxiety disorder and I don't, mm-hmm. I, I'd say a lot of people probably don't know that if they just talk to me just because I don't really try and, you know, people in, with that sort of stuff tend to act and I, I'd say I'm a, a decent actor. But I just wanted, I was like, fuck, yeah. I'm just going to put put myself out there. This is this will help me. And I had a surprising, well, a lot of people, so many comments on that video, even though it's only got six, 700 views of people, you know, saying thank you or, or, or saying, wow, I never really been honest about this and this is happening to me. And even though it's only a small amount of people, um, in the grand scheme of YouTube, in the grand scheme of things, the fact that even one person w- was honest enough to, to write that in, in a public forum under a YouTube video is amazing. So, mm. yeah, I guess the stuff from my kids, the Verona video, and, and probably some of the, some of the op-ed stuff. So, yeah, that was a bit of a loose answer. Sorry. <laughs> That's been uh, some of my my favourite content on on your uh, YouTube channel. I've been I've enjoyed all of the your output on on YouTube, but the the state of play stuff uh, in particular has been something that I've really enjoyed Thanks. because it's Thank you, it's something that like uh, um you don't get there's not that many um experienced video games journalists on YouTube if you know what I mean mm. um you're kind of few and far between so uh, and everybody's you'll you'll see countless opinion pieces uh, about video games um by the video game community about the video game business uh, but not many of them come from the perspective of someone who's worked in the industry for you know more than a decade 
So it's nice to see someone coming with that with that experience and that that sort of perspective. So um, I've enjoying those. Thank you very much, mate. That, that that means a lot just to hear that, and that's not even something that I really thought about it when you put it like that. I guess that is true. I do have that kind of you know I've been around a while, been around around the block for a little bit, and I perhaps should make a little bit more of a point of that at the beginning. This is why I'm sitting here in my scruffy ass office <laughs> talking into the lens, just because I've been around a while, but. Um, you know, like you said, there are plenty of people doing opinion pieces all the time, but I don't want to have a picture of me with my mouth open screaming about something that I'm not, that I don't care about some issue that, you know, no. it might even get me more views, but I'd just rather be me. I work with um, a guy called Wizite, who is your classic high energy YouTuber in, in inverted commas. You know, he is, if you go in his content, he's been doing it since he was a bit younger. He's, I think he's about 26, 27 now, and he's not really your cup of tea your edge reader's cup of tea like he's 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 a youtuber but he's a fantastic Mm -hmm. dude and he's been um helping me a lot and uh, helping me with my channel and ideas and all that sort of stuff and he always says one thing and he said he heard it from youtube themselves the youtube is all about you the you in youtube is you and you know the people who do the best and the people who connect the most are the people who are just themselves and uh and honest and open and um, I think he's exactly right. And I find it really therapeutic because I work from home and I spend a lot of time on my own. So I go a little bit loopy in this office. <laughs> so it's really therapeutic just to be able to talk into the lens and uh, and be open. And um, I've from, uh, you know, like years and years of um, generations of Irish Catholics who are obviously quite closed off and everybody, I was always taught to not really speak openly or, or, or be too emotional or any of that sort of stuff. So to kind of shed some of all that bollocks over however many years has been um, quite rewarding and a few people seem to have connected with it as well. So that's great. Well, that's the great thing about YouTube. That there's, uh, if you look just at gaming content, there's such a broad spectrum of the type of content that you can find on YouTube all the way from, you know, your shouty YouTubers that have, you know, they have their audience all the way through to, you know, more long form, thoughtful quasi documentaries like the stuff that uh danny o'dwyer is doing mm-hmm. um there's there's yeah. a lot of yeah there's just a, a great scope for whatever you want basically um in gaming on youtube now yeah i think so and now that, that, that was one of the things that i was really happy to find when i started doing more research and finding people like exactly like you were talking about um another guy called like noah coldwell gervais i think his name is who just does these long form think pieces or on games and, and ties them into cinema and they're, they're really really good and mm. I wished that I could in some ways I wish that I could do that too but I've always been I was trained to be quick from the magazines like yeah. Games TM was a 180 page magazine 360 was a 17 issues a year magazine to, 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 to work quickly so I've never been good at that real thoughtful long form meticulously crafted stuff mm. so I wouldn't be true to myself if I was trying to do that but I love the fact that that's on there like you say like you can find some amazing stuff and stuff that drills down into individual games and things like that just because there's so many people out there and well, now YouTube's been around for 12 years you know and, and it's been like people have been putting game capture up there for what like you know, realistically seven eight years now mm. like consistently mm. and understanding and learning and now you know people have got really really good at it like seriously good like the quality of production and editing and um like the standards like you say danny o'dwyer stuff mm. you know all that sort of stuff which is like professional level now and then even you know the the, the sort of high-end enthusiast stuff has got so good that i can just see more and more people turning to youtube and then i think that you know people are going to be able to 
sustain businesses from that, whether they're using Patreon, whether they're just using ad rev, whether they're using affiliate marketing through, you know, Amazon brand deals, whatever it is. Um, and that's great for, for journalism. I think even though this is just game, like games content, whatever you want to call it, mm. the fact that now you're not reliant necessarily on huge brands that have been around forever, huge things that are owned by, you know, old existing corporations, people can just go out there and, and you know, create a name for themselves. And it's not just on YouTube, you know, you can do it across all the different social platforms and, and create that kind of um, mm. an audience for yourself and then, a, you know, sustainability for yourself as well, I think is, is just, it's a fantastic time really, as long as people are prepared to jump on it. Mm. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's not going to be long before next 12 months. It wouldn't surprise me if a few more old school hacks are on there. Uh, like me trying to to do it and some of them will you know will do very well and some won't won't have the um just you know will fall off it as with everything before you got into starting your youtube channel did it ever cross your mind to possibly thinking about streaming and going down sort of the more twitch route um not so much before i started my channel i'd done a bit um just through like the in console you know, the, the fact that you can stream through, I don't even know what to call it, like the fact that you can stream direct from PS4 and Xbox now. So I did a little bit when that first mm-hmm. came out. Um, actually, uh, one of my biggest ever streams was streaming Knack. <laughs> when I first got my PS4, I just streamed Knack. And at one point I had like over 200 concurrent viewers because I think Twitch was just a new thing. Wow. And I was just there on my like, you know, that rubbish um, like headset mm-hmm. thing that you got with the PS4, the little phone mic basically with the little headphones talking into that I mean I imagine people couldn't even understand me but um yeah I'd never really felt like I could I had the energy or or the capacity to stream I also didn't really understand it but in the last month I just decided to try and figure out I saw again my friend um Wizai he's a guy he's got nearly 200,000 on on YouTube so he's big but he's not grand scale big and he's been having a lot of success streaming on on youtube and getting a lot of subs every day and and doing well and seeing i like the fact that it turns into a video if you do it on youtube Mm. you do a thumbnail you get your stream going and Mm. then when it's finished it's a video and people can find it and and view it and i I like the idea of doing that so i've actually been streaming a little bit myself over the last couple of weeks and i've been learning a lot about it i've been learning it's bloody difficult to talk the whole time but it's easy if people are in the chat talking back to you or if you have people in your party chat then it's quite easy because you just it's like normal gaming it can be really good fun and it can be actually an interesting way to evaluate and to to talk about games and show games off as well which i'd never really thought about before i know a lot of people who i was doing a lot of splatoon 2 streams for for about a week when it came out and people jumped on they they learned about the game from hanging out in the chat and asking questions and watching the game being played. And then we were getting tweets through myself and Dave Turner's the, the next day of people, the photographs of Splatoon 2 copies. And I was like, oh, there's something here. There's something here. I know people, plenty of people who have grown up with that kind of thing, you know, have grown up with Twitch and it's much more normal to them. will go to Twitch or go to YouTube to, to mm-hmm. see what the game looks like and then make purchasing decisions off that. And that's kind of like the, the culture that they've had, but our generation wasn't really part of it. And then like you say, your Twitch streamer to me was just some kid in the corner, floating in the corner, screaming over it. I was like, why would I want to watch someone play a game? I don't get it. Mm-hmm. A typical old man response but i'm starting to I, I, i'm actually really starting to get into it now and it's a it's a good way to create content for the channel when i don't have time to produce a normal video and also it's a good way to kind of connect with the people who've been watching the videos but i also think it's an interesting way to examine games in a live setting in a community which is completely new really and i don't think mm-hmm. that's what streamers 
have been doing like I always say on my stream, don't if you if you stumbled across this stream, and you're new. Don't stay for high level play because it ain't happening. Like, I'm not your I'm not your guy. But you know we can we can chat and have a laugh and and maybe you know learn about the game together. And I've learned about the games as well that I've been playing while I've been streaming. So to answer your question, it wasn't really something I'd ever planned on doing beforehand. But now I have a slightly different setup. I can sort of uh, I've got the mic and the the camera going at the same time and and figure some stuff out with my PC and mm. I, I'm definitely definitely going to be doing more of it and when I do get games to review through I'm probably going to be streaming when the embargo drops if I can doing an hour hour and a half stream just putting out there saying listen this is coming out if you want to come and see what the game's like just come and um hang out like I said to before I could do that with a, a Destiny 2, not that people need that game specifically, but you know, whatever it is. Whereas the amount of time it would take to produce a review is going to be way, way longer. And yeah, it may may hit and it may end up doing loads of views and getting new people in. But if I, if you've got a brand new game that not necessarily everybody's streaming and you start streaming it right on embargo and it happens to be that people start looking at it, you can en- end up getting quite a few new people into the channel. So again, it's, it's all experimentation, but... I think it's something interesting there, uh, mm. and it does seem that people who've been watching the streams have been enjoying them as well. So, yeah, that's definitely going to be a plan going forward. Yeah, um, that's that's one of the things that have been uh, that's been quite fun about watching the live streams and, and joining in them, especially uh, the, the Splatoon two ones. I mean, uh, my opinion of Splatoon didn't really change over the the period that I went in loving Splatoon. Loved it all the way through, watching the live streams and and being lucky enough to to jump in in a few games. Uh, as well but when you streamed uh for example the lawbreakers beta a few weeks ago mm. and again i was lucky enough to jump in uh with your you and, and matt murray from um yep. computer game show and it was quite cool hearing yourself and matt your sort of like your opinions of the game forming over the period of those like couple of hours that you were on playing going from like you know this is this you know it's kind of all, all right to like coming out the other end thing and actually this is quite a good game because I, I i went in at the beginning of that thinking there's not a lot really here that discerns this from other games that i've played but then chatting you know in, in, typing in the chat and seeing other people's opinions and hearing you talk about the game as well over the period of those couple of hours it it kind of it, it was it was weird like seeing like a an opinion evolve over a period of hour rather than like uh, it was like watching a review in progress yeah i think and i really think there's something in that there was something that i've over the last few months that i've been watching a few um i've really broad taste in music but one of the genres that i like is hip-hop mm. and i um kendrick lamar's album came out a, a couple of months ago and i stumbled across um, this whole phenomenon of basically live reactions to, to hip-hop albums, and I'm sure it's live reactions to every genre of music, but obviously that audience tends to be a bit more excitable, yeah. and so the videos are a bit more entertaining. And I started watching people's live reactions to um, to Kendrick, and the first one was just a f- fat guy being hilarious and dancing about, but then he'd stop and give, you know give his thoughts on it. And then I watched another one, and it was just these two... It was twins, actually, these two twins... And they'd be, you know, they'd be listening to the track, having their live reaction, then they'd hit pause and they'd sort of discuss it amongst each other and then they'd move on. And they were like saying some really insightful things and like informing each other at the time. And I was like, there's something in this. There's some, nobody's doing this in games. Like nobody is doing this live reaction type stuff. There's the, ah, oh, live reaction. I just unlocked a FIFA packet or whatever. I'm not interested in that whatsoever. But live, like exactly like you say, I think there's something there. That we weren't, we just literally have never been able to do until now. Now we can do that, that live reaction, that live forming, you know, thing. Especially as more stuff is getting launched 
either in beta or it's getting launched pretty much day and date with the reviews mm. that you know people don't necessarily have weeks with them beforehand to form those opinions that you you don't get to see the opinion forming in front of you um mm. yeah i definitely think that we're going to see more of that and i'd like to be be doing it and yeah i mean that was fun i learned like that was great playing lawbreakers with everybody and whether i maybe if i'd just done that on my own off stream for an hour and had like you know four games in a row where i got slaughtered i'd have jumped off it and never even thought about lawbreakers again but mm. as it turned out we kind of learned about it together and then well i was lucky enough to do the review on Eurogamer anyway so i had to play loads more but there's something there in that and that's definitely something i want to explore more yeah do you think with youtubers and um twitch streamers and even beam to a lesser extent do you think their influence on the success of a game is unbalanced compared to say the critical reviews um how do you mean by unbalanced as in, even with critical reviews, it does feel sometimes as if a game live or, lives or dies on how popular it is with streamers. I think um, I think you're right, especially in shooting. I think in that genre. I mean, we've seen it mm-hmm. this year with PUBG. Um, you know that that's a game that basically its success is almost entirely down to streaming, and also you know it's sort of built around the idea of people streaming it and people watching it. And I think you you you're completely right. It's you know the top games on Twitch will inevitably sell well as people either want to stream it themselves or connect with the people that are doing it or just you know watch the game and find it fascinating. Mm-hmm. And is that undermining the review processes? Do do reviews hold the same weight at all? I I still believe in you know criticism that can live for years. And I I don't actually like using that word. It is the the correct word, but it always has that negative connotation. A critic, you know, like people. People use that because they think that you know critics want to criticize or be negative. Mm-hmm. And I, I personally like I, I spoke about this on the video that I did the other day. While I'm, I will be negative if I need to be. What I love to do is to champion great games and talk about great games and ideas and concepts, and that still falls under you know being a critic and criticizing. But anyway, that's a tangent. <laughs> Does that you know do reviews hold the? They certainly don't hold the same sort of weight that they used to. Um, but mm-hmm. do they even matter in the same way that they used to? It's going. I think it's going to be an interesting twelve months because we've got stuck the success of the PUBGs and things, and you know games that are doing well on Twitch, obviously leading to huge amounts of sales. And I do think Call of Duty success over the last five years is so much down to how big it got on YouTube, and they kind of they helped each other out. Gaming on YouTube got big because of COD and Minecraft, and vice versa. And you know those games got big because of YouTube. And um, I think, yeah, the next 12 months can be really interesting. You look at a situation like Bethesda, who, you know, now stopped doing review copies early for any publication. They've been doing some deals with YouTubers, mm-hmm. but basically none of their stuff's getting reviewed beforehand. And it worked out for Doom, massively didn't work out for Prey and Dishonored 2. Mm. Um, Dishonored 2 has been like a quid since pretty much since it came out. Um, and. Obviously, they'll do it again with Wolfenstein, which is going to be interesting, and Evil Within, which is uh, almost definitely... I don't understand how that's ever going to do well if they're not going to even get review copies out beforehand. It, 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 it's kind of a madness to me, and I, I understand their point of view, and obviously there's no right from the content or editorial side to get games early. There's no, you know, there's no divine right to have that happen, but it makes sense for everybody involved, I think, so... I think it's going to be an interesting, yeah, twelve-month period to see see what happens and see if all the major websites really start their focus on streaming as well. I'd be fascinated to see the figures on something like a Eurogamer when they have a review of something that's not necessarily controversial that you know hangs around the top of their page for eight to ten hours. 
that compared to when they stream that game uh, and the sort of figures they're getting for that. I, I'd be really interested to see what does better, what what has more influence, what has more engagement, what you know creates more revenue for them as a business because that you know ultimately that sort of stuff is going to shift mm-hmm. how this whole st- this whole thing's done and the idea of a traditional review may not die but it may change it, it, it really might mm-hmm. just on the subject of traditional reviews back in your day uh, whenever you were doing uh, proper reviews for magazines and things was there any pressure on yourselves to hold to a 7 out of 10 8 out of 10 9 out of 10 and never really using the full scale and how do you feel about that so it's a good question. Um, so on GamesTM, we were very much of the school of thought that it um, the five out of ten was the average. Like you use the whole scale. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the magazine was obviously modelled after Edge, tried to be that slightly higher brow, more you know adult as it were than some of the single format mags. And um, you know five was definitely the one that was supposed to be in the middle. So. We had a few situations where games would get that five and uh, some of the publishers and PR people would, would reach out and you know complain, but we, we stuck to our guns on it. And um, I think for the most part on that publication, we were, um, yeah, we were pretty good with it. Mm-hmm. I think that now it's almost impossible for that standard to be maintained anymore just because you know an eight hammered in in comment threads and you know a nine's hammered in some cases yeah. so the whole scoring system is is basically been almost re- made redundant to a point um and as much as i i, I put a video up on it ages ago about why i think scores matter just because i like them as a, a time saver for people who don't necessarily have the time to to read a whole review or the inclination to read a whole review and it can be you know a reason to pull somebody into a review it comes from print like the reason there's big quotes on the page is so you stop and can read the article same as you know a big number stop make you read the article so yeah long story short again where where are we with that i think i think it's kind of a bit of a lost cause and that's a, the, it's a shame to say i like what eurogamer have done in ditching the numbers but still having the recommended essential or avoid because you still get that pull factor like mm-hmm. they just had um sonic mania go up today with this another essential badge they've had so many this year it's been an amazing year mm-hmm. and so instantly i'm like damn and that makes me want to click on the review and read the review i'm not i'm not i was a snes kid so sonic doesn't really have the same um you know thing with me personally is it has lots of other people our age who are, who are mega drive kids so but i'm like damn now i really need to pay attention to this now same with hellblade when that hit the essential thing so they have those little badges which is clever but they're not losing themselves or falling about worrying about sixes or sevens or sevens because i think it was just killed too many publications just mm-hmm. just killed that scoring system and and my other magazine i worked on 360 was five stars which is mm. the easiest one of all yeah, three stars for anything in the middle. There's no such thing as a ten because a nine or a ten is five stars. So it was yeah, I loved I loved working on a five star system for games. Mm-hmm. You could say it lacked some of the um, you know, needed perhaps the, the the ten the ten point scale to get the the finer details. But it's just like it's just easy. It was no stress. I remember we were doing a GTA Four review, and I was like, this is five star. I don't even have to think whether this is a nine or a ten. I don't have to argue. I don't have to justify. It's just five stars. Nice and easy. <laughs> so um yeah i like that but i've actually stopped scoring my reviews even though there's a video on my channel saying i will score all the reviews <laughs> just because um it started i realized it made less sense than i thought for for videos it does end up causing some really petty flame wars uh i think that the point where i lost all faith in in uh 
scoring games up with a number was when uh, The Last of Us came out and um, Philip Collar over at uh, Polygon gave it a 7.5 out of 10, which is mm. halfway between average and perfect. That's a that's a good score for a game. And the comment section and NeoGAF and Reddit and everything were all full of uh, the, the Polygon and Microsoft shills there. They've, they've been paid to give a Sony exclusive a bad score. Blah, blah. It's like... Uh, even leaving aside the nonsense conspiracy theory stuff, 7.5 is not a bad score for a game at all. It's not. If you look at the full scale. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's yeah, it's they've gotten too used to, and, and I, I, I maybe unfairly lay the blame at outlets like IGN, um, who tend to lean a little bit more heavily towards the top end of the scale and very rarely give anything any game anything it's at true. the lower end of the scale but it's been it's been going on forever really yeah, yeah. i mean the games mags there's so many uh, the games mags that that did it and the ones the really dodgy ones from back in the day back before um i was around where they were they were genuinely getting bribed and bought off uh, for mm. scores and covers and stuff like that i mean it's always been there's been mm. just so many years of conditioning of what big games should get and you're right, 7.5 out of 10 for Last of Us isn't a bad score, but at the same time, it's still a bit of a statement score. And I know when that guy, Philip Collar, put that up, he knew in his head, you could say otherwise, but he knew in his head, unfortunately, that that's a bit of a statement score about that game. Because you know, just, I mean, nothing wrong with it. I mean, that's what he thought and that's what he, he should give it. So all power to him. But you know when you do something like that yeah. that you're going to expect a little bit to come back your way and it's a shame really because it's a useful thing to be able to go is this an 8 is this a 9 I know people don't like that but I've always from years of reviewing games with that scoring system on games TM, you would have to write to, if you go okay this is an 8 well I'm going to have to write 800 to 1500 words now and make it read like an 8 so when people get to that number at the end they kind of know what that number is going to be before they even get there Yeah, and, they know that it's been justified um, yeah, uh, mm. and so anybody who reads Games TM and has done for years knows exactly what a seven game is, knows exactly what a six game is, knows exactly what a nine game is. You know, they know that what that level should be just from, and it's kind of weak because there's different writers writing different opinions, but we all kind of held ourselves to a set of standards internally of what we thought those different things should be. Even if one person thought a game was a nine and one person thought it was a six, they still knew what it meant. had to mean to them to be a nine or had to mean to them to be a six. Does that make any sense? I don't know if I'm making sense okay. now, but yeah, um, it does. yeah, I think that stuff's kind of lost as we've got editorial teams have become more disparate as well. Loads of, you know, people work, especially in America, you've got people working East coast, people working on the West coast. Yes. People are connecting via mm -hmm. Slack and Skype and all that sort of stuff, but it's not the same as all being in the same room. Um, you're never going to be able to get that kind of editorial consistency. And do you even need that anymore? Not necessarily, but I don't think you can have, Polygon gives this this score if it's a bunch of individuals anymore. And I think Eurogamer has it has it pretty much as good as you can get it and not get rid of scores or, or not get rid of, you know, badges or awards completely. I, I don't think there's actually a better solution than what they've got going on at the moment. But yeah, unfortunately, mm -hmm. the day of the editorial team is it's not dead because there's still a few, but it's not the same as it was. You still get them in certain on certain websites but they they kind of tailor cater to a slightly different audience and make a slightly different output like giant bomb is not your typical video game website they don't do mm. that many written reviews they don't do that many written editorials it's it's mostly video content which 
they've managed to do quite well doing. Uh, I know a lot of that's funded by people who who pay for the premium subscription. But um, yeah, I know you mean a lot of those sites like uh, Kotaku and um, and Polygon. They've got people based here, there, and everywhere. And Gamespot still has an office, and IGN still has an, an office where people go into the office and work. And I, I guess mm-hmm. they still have uh, established editorial teams. But it's difficult for a lot of these outlets. Yeah, it's just a changing and shifting culture. I don't you know don't think there's necessarily anything right or wrong with any of it it's just yeah the 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 whole thing we consume this stuff and we're in it every single day all of us are Mm. and um you know just it's just changing a lot it's different and i think people who if you clamor too much for the old way you just get frustrated and, and left behind and ultimately there's the great thing is there's still loads of people who want to have intelligent, high-level discussions and fun discussions and amusing and hilarious discussions as well. Mm. But they want to be talking about games and be passionate about this medium and, and care and and try and be interesting and look at them in a different way. And I think, thankfully, amongst all the crap and all the horrible stuff that, that happens and, you know, there's a, there's a lot of nastiness around this medium. The, 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 there's some real great stuff out there and real great people and real great passion as well. Yeah. And, you know, from the indie podcast mm. and YouTube scene all the way up to the, you know, the great people at the, at the biggest websites and, and things. So I think, you know, as long as we can focus on that and try and not ignore the other stuff, but try and cast gaming in a more positive light and games, you know, discussion in a more positive mm. light and focus on those people and support those people and, you know, occasionally, you know, if you need to pay for people's Patreons and things like that, who you really care about, I think that's that's the way forward. If we spend all our time worrying about all the negative stuff, then you know, we just get you just end up getting dragged down into it like a crab trying to escape a bucket of crabs. You know, you just get pulled back down into it. <laughs> that's an analogy I've never heard before. <laughs> <laughs> we recently had a mid-year review um, of 2017 um, as a podcast episode, and so far it has been an absolutely amazing uh, year for games. And we then sort of covered the um, sort of from August until sort of December for the scheduled games to come out, and the rest of the year is nearly as mind blowing as the first half of the year was. Given the number of highly rated games released so far, um, how do games journalists keep up um, with the sort of the onslaught of the games coming through, never mind gamers who are obviously being asked to, you know, pony up um, sort of 40, 50, 60 quid um, nearly every week um, for a big game coming out? I mean, it's, it's difficult, right? I mean, I've had to I've had to accept some losses this year. I still haven't played uh, Nier Automata, I mean, I'm a big Platinum fan. It, I played the demo and loved it. It was so far up my street, and I've just had to accept that I'm, that's not getting played anytime soon. Didn't play mm. Neo, didn't play Yakuza 0. There's, like, stuff that in most years I would have definitely gone out of my way to find and play. And, you know, I've got a, a list of them just from this year alone that I've missed out on, and it's killing me. But I uh, didn't do Mass Effect Andromeda. I know that had its problems, but, you know, I still really... Any other year I'd have played it, even if I didn't like it. Um, so how do games journalists keep up? I think if you're not in an editorial team plus a budget so you can freelance everything out like basically IGN, Eurogamer, GameSpot, Polygon and that's about it uh, and um, probably Edge and, and GamesTM to an extent, you can't, it's impossible. There was a period where I ran a, like an EMAG when I first went freelance and it was just Xbox and I basically had to play and review everything that came out on 360 and it was hard, man. So trying to do that across <laughs> every every format. I'm not complaining getting games early, you know, but it, it, was, it was a grind. It was long, long, long hours working every weekend. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I, I think you, you were coming to the dawn, or not the dawn, the age of the specialist. Like, 
you know, um, whether it's the guy that only covers CSGO for esports and he's a journalist just about CSGO esports or whether it's their streamer who just does PUBG and nothing else or whether it's their guy on the editorial team who only does shooters or only does MOBAs, something like that. I think mm-hmm. we're going to see more and more specialists in that respect. Um, and in some ways that's good for a jack of all trades like me who's got experience in all sorts of places in all different genres because... You know, obviously specialization is amazing, but it also breeds weakness in just general knowledge. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's impossible, right? I mean, what an amazing, phenomenal, ridiculous year that could only... I mean, we could cap this year off with a, a Nintendo console with three, perhaps even four, 10 out of 10, genuine 10 out of 10 games on it. One of which is a little bit old in, in Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. But I mean, mm-hmm. I'd be very surprised if... Uh, if Odyssey is anything less than a 10 out of 10 game based on pedigree and the heritage and what we've seen so far. Mm. And, you know, how does that happen? How does Nintendo come out of the console? Never mind PlayStation, never mind Xbox, never mind PC. Nintendo comes out of the console with three Stone Cold 10s and a couple of strong 9s in Splatoon and, and ARMS, plus whatever else is coming out. You've got Mario Rabbids, got the Xeno um, thingy, whatever it's called, Xenoblade, and, and mm-hmm. a few other bits. And then you've got... Games like PUBG coming out of nowhere. Nobody even knew what that was. It didn't exist. And now that's going to be, in many ways, probably culturally the biggest game of the year. Mm. Um, in terms of Twitch, probably the biggest game of the year. Stuff mm. like, you know, we just talked about Hellblade. I mean, it's just absolutely ridiculous. Like, tomorrow or the day after, the new um, Housemark game comes out, Matterfall. New Talk 2's out. I mean... What what are we supposed to do here? You just got. I think you just got to accept the losses now. Yeah, you can't. It's impossible to play them all. It's a shame, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've I've started doing that. Just started looking down the list of games that are coming out for the rest of this year, and just started ticking them off as like, nope, that's getting played later. That's not getting played this year. That's not getting played this year. Just there is there's too many games and not enough time, especially when Destiny comes out. That's gonna suck yeah. up far too much time. I mean, Lawbreakers like. I didn't even really know it was coming out. Mm. And then suddenly I'm like, I just want to play Lawbreakers now. This is a superb game. But mm. the yeah, like you say, Destiny, I've not even really looked at the end of the year. To, to be honest, I know that Assassin's Creed, which is not really my bag, but I'll, I'll try it. Nice. Mario and Wolfenstein are out on the same day. Um, and apart from that and Destiny, obviously big guns like COD, I've not really paid too much attention to the rest of the year because I just can't wrap my head around what could be coming out that's just going to be, <laughs> yeah, so devastating to, to my time. But yeah. I'm sure it's just going to be ridiculous again. One final and slightly cheeky question. Okay. What is currently in the top five of your reassuringly finite playlist? So meaning what am I playing right now, basically? Top five yeah. games that I'm playing right now. Um, okay, so I've been playing um, Agents of Mayhem. Uh, I'm doing a review on that, which will be up at the time of this show being out, nice. the new uh, Saints Row spin-off. So um, that would be in. I don't think I can do this in order, unfortunately. So I'm uh, trying to That's think. Right. Uh, definitely Splatoon Two. Um, still spending a decent amount of time with Splatoon Two. Want to get back into it. That's the saddest thing about all these amazing games coming out. I'm just abandoning these games that I love <laughs> without giving mm-hmm. them the time. Like. Bounce, bounced off Mario Kart 8 Deluxe before I gave it the proper amount of time. Bounced off ARMS before I gave it the proper amount of time. Now I feel like I'm neglecting Splatoon 2. And it's just, you know, that was that was everything for a week. That was what we were doing. That was the whole channel. Mm. So, and then, you know, there's going to be lawbreakers and then going back again. And the football games are coming out. But, yeah, anyway, um, Splatoon 2, uh, what else? Getting back into Rainbow Six. So Rainbow Six Siege. Um, 
myself and Mr. Royvus, we, we, we're not doing a podcast anymore, but we will be doing some streaming together. So uh, Rainbow Six Siege is going to be uh, a big game going forward uh, for us. Um, and then I'm going to say Hellblade. I've played about an hour of Hellblade, so that should probably be number five, really. But very, very interested in getting back into that and giving it some more time. And then, did I say Lawbreakers already? Several times, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I can't remember what I said now on my list. But yeah, so that's the other one. Yeah. And if there, if I need one more, then um, a lot of people... Last weekend, there was a fr- uh, free weekend for, for Honor. That was difficult to say. And um, yeah, a bunch of my people that I play games with finally decided to pick it up, even though I was telling them to in February. So I might get back into that <laughs> as well and spend some time with them on that. But, you know, realistically, there's no time to play anything. It's just stupid. No. Especially whenever it's the online multiplayer ones, it's getting all the scheduling yes, and everything together it? with yeah. everybody. And yeah, yeah. It's, it's always a yeah. nightmare. So just have to forego sleep. Yeah. That's what I do. Yeah, it's I. I don't play online as much as I probably would like to. Um, but I'm of an age now where I actually enjoy a game that I can start and finish within, say, about four hours. Oh yeah, me too. Yeah, <laughs> so I, it, it's really nice to be able to experience the whole game mm. and uh, knowing that you've done it and that's it done. Yeah, it's a, yeah, I completely agree with you. Um, so on our blog at the minute we have my monthly mobile review roundup for July and hopefully by the time the show comes out or possibly a little bit after it I will hopefully have my August um, list up of a handful of mobile games that you can pick up now. Mark has written a Breaking the Lower um article up um just talking about the sort of lore rewriting almost. Colossal up of the Lord of the Rings lore in Shadow of War. And I wrote that before the more egregious story came out about a single player game having uh, loot boxes, real money loot boxes in it. So mm-hmm. I've lost all interest in playing that game, unfortunately. But yeah. <laughs> and Ali also has a review of the Game of Thrones board game. Um, so Ali and Andy um, are both big board game fans and I only occasionally get to mention it on the, the actual show. Um, but he's got that up there now as well. So, John, we will pass it over to you um, for any shout outs and things that you want to um, give anybody mentions for. Uh, so first of all I just want to say a massive thank you for having me on this has been loads of fun to, to have a chat with you guys and obviously you know thanks for support that you guys have given me in the past or on the channel on the podcast etc massively yeah, appreciated um, if people did want to check out the channel just search my name in YouTube uh, John Denton J-O-N and uh, that should be the top result that comes up so yeah please do jump on hit the subscribe button and um, yeah, maybe you'll enjoy it. And yeah, just wanted to give um, again, another shout out to uh, my main man, David Turner. He's uh, without his support early on in the podcast, when I, we first transitioned off doing more traditional games, media stuff into, you know, my own brand and, uh, and trying things out. I don't think without um, his support early on, we'd have really got that far. So uh Always a shout out to Dave. I, you know, I hate the guy, but you know, I've got to give him some props sometimes. Um, uh, and yeah, I think uh, I think that's about it. Like, um, yeah, that's just just really fun to to come and hang out with you guys and have a chat. Really, mm. well, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank you very much, John. Thank you. Yeah. So with that ending the show, I'd just like to say good night. Good night. Good night.
Absolutely.